Have you ever noticed that when it comes to the Holy Spirit, most Jesus followers fall into one of two extremes? Some Jesus followers are obsessed with the Holy Spirit. Ever met a Jesus follower like that? Kind of a little bit strange even, you know, interacting with the Holy Spirit in like these really strange mystical ways. Their experiences with the Holy Spirit always seem to involve, you know, high emotionally excited moments, often triggered by worship experiences where like the, the music builds and the leader hypes and, you know, and then, ah, and it just happens, you know, those, those kinds of people. And then we have other followers of Jesus who completely neglect, avoid, and really ignore the Holy Spirit altogether. They believe in the Holy Spirit. If you were to talk to them and ask them, you know, do you believe in the Trinity, which is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? Do you, yeah, we believe. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Yeah, absolutely, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But they kind of think of the Holy Spirit in the same way that they think about their pancreas. I mean, they're, you know, they're grateful that it's there. They know it's essential for something, but they don't pay much attention to it. You know what I'm saying? Um, but if we are followers of Jesus then we are forced to consider some things that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at some today. Throughout this series, we're going to look at the words of Jesus about the Holy Spirit, the words of the Apostle Paul and Apostle John throughout um, the, the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. But in one of his most defining moments, Jesus gathered his 12 closest followers into a small room. Jesus isn't teaching to the crowds at this point. They're simply having dinner. Jesus and his closest. And Jesus knows that in about 12 hours or so, he's going to face the cross. He knows this is coming. And what's recorded in John 14, chapters 14 through 16 of the book of John, is Jesus' personal up-close conversation with his 12 closest followers. And he says something so outrageous to them that it grabs my attention. I hope it grabs your attention today. Look at what he says. Jesus says, I am going away to the one who sent me, but it is best for you that I go away. What? I mean, Jesus is telling his disciples who would be losing the leader and the friend that they have followed for the last three and a half years of their lives. I mean, I mean these guys have given up careers, you know, the, the group of fishermen, I, I love it, where it says that, that Jesus says, follow me, and it says they left their nets and followed. What, are they, what does that mean? They left their careers, and they followed him. I mean, they, people left their families to follow. Matthew left his career as a tax collector to follow Jesus. They left the familiar, they left the comfortable to follow Jesus. This, this is a whole other topic, but sometimes I wonder, we as modern day Christians, if we would really be considered a disciple of Jesus because we never leave our familiar and comfortable to follow Jesus like they did. They've given up three and a half years of their life, and now Jesus tells them it is to their advantage that he go away. <laughs> Look what he says. Because if I don't, if I don't go away, the advocate, circle that word on your outline, the advocate won't come. The advocate won't come. If I do go away, Jesus says, then I will send him, notice it's him, not it, not a force, 
you know, it's, it's him. I will send him to you. So, so don't miss this. Jesus is saying that it's best that he go away so that he can send the advocate. Now, that's not a word that we're really familiar with, unless you're like a legal person, a lawyer, attorney, something like that. So, so what is an advocate? Well, if you Google it, if you got your phone, you could Google it right now. That's what I did. If you Google it, it says that an advocate is a champion, an upholder, a supporter, a backer, promoter, proponent, protector, spokesperson for, campaigner for, fighter for, crusader for, booster, or plugger. I like the word plugger. That's really funny. Anyway, Webster's defines an advocate as a person who works on behalf of someone, pleads another's cause, or acts in support of someone. So you've already circled that word in your outline, advocate. This is an interesting word. If you don't know, the New Testament was originally written in the Koine Greek and then translated so that we could understand it. And, and so what we have is a Greek word, actually two Greek words, that, that this word advocate comes from. It's parakletos. Say it with me. Come on. Parakletos. It's really interesting Greek word. Um, it means to stand close beside. So if you're sitting next to somebody, I know it might be a little awkward. You don't get, okay, anyway, but anyway, I want you to squeeze in tight to, the, to that person, okay? That's what it's talking about. Standing close beside, making contact. We used to call it when I was in youth ministry, PDA, public display of affection. And we used to tell the kids, six inches. You know what we meant by that? Keep six inches apart. I want to see a gap between you and that girl, you know, kind of thing, right? Okay. But this is talking about up close and personal, standing beside you. The synonyms would be advocate, like we're using, intercessor, comforter, or helper. We're going to see all of those. They play out throughout the New Testament in our, in our series. So Jesus uses this, this word, advocate. And, and I'll be honest with you, it indicates... Um, incredible intimacy between a follower and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is always close beside us. Always. Always with us. This is the, this is the phrase that came to mind when I was studying this. We will never do life alone. Isn't that awesome? We will never do life alone. If the Holy Spirit is with us, we will never do life alone. That's what Jesus is telling his, his guys. And they didn't get it at that point. But he's telling them, basically he's telling them, the Holy Spirit with you is better than me with you. Wow. I mean, come on, think of the craziness of that statement. How could having the Holy Spirit possibly be better than having Jesus with you in the flesh every moment, every day? I mean, do you see having the Holy Spirit as something better than having Jesus? Have, have you ever thought about, wouldn't it be cool to have Jesus with you? Hmm. See, we, we probably don't see it as better. And, and I think that shows us how far we really are from the reality of what Jesus is talking about here. Because we've never really experienced the Holy Spirit in this way. Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit was so important, so vital, so much so that it was better for him to go away so that he could send it, send the advocate. 
Look what he says. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 24, stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power. Just don't miss this. Stay here until. He's saying, don't do a thing. He's already given them the great commission, we call it in Matthew 28, where Jesus said, go into all the world and tell people about the message of me. He told his disciples that. He gave them this mission, and he commissioned them to it. But then he goes, oh, but wait, stay. I feel like I'm talking to my dog, Brody. Stay here until. I just told him that as I leave. He, he comes to our front door, and he looks out our screen door, security screen door, and he just looks at me when I leave, and I go, Brody, stay home. Stay, Brody. I'll be back. Stay. He wags his tail at me. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. I don't know where that came from. Anyway, stay. And I didn't have caffeine today. Anyway, stay. Stay. Don't move. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. Wow. They have no idea what they're waiting for. They, they have no idea what it's going to be like. But they were expecting. Can you imagine the conversation? I would love to have been in the room with them. The conversations. He said to stay. I know. What are we waiting for? I don't know, but it's going to be great. Are you ready? I'm ready. It's an expectancy that we miss. We miss. It's a readiness that, that we don't have. And we need to start asking God, God, give us this. That, that song we learned, Spirit come. Oh, Spirit come. Fill us, use us, flow through us. Spirit come. Acts 2 it begins to happen. We see the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit in a way that must have shocked everybody involved. The power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed like no one has ever experienced before. The Apostle Peter shares that this Holy Spirit is available to anyone who believes. And Peter and John and Philip, along with Paul and Barnabas and others, share the message of Jesus and the experience of the Holy Spirit to anyone and everyone all over the world, the known world. And then the New Testament tells us about the Holy Spirit that is at work in people's lives in the church as the Holy Spirit empowered them to fight against temptation and sin, to, to become more like Jesus by developing the fruit of the Holy Spirit and to be used uh, supernaturally through the gifts of the Holy Spirit to build up and serve and encourage the church and those around us. The Holy Spirit caused and empowered this and so much more in the lives of Jesus' followers throughout the New Testament. And yet, this is not the way most Jesus' followers live today. This is not our experience with the Holy Spirit. In fact, many Jesus' followers don't think they need the Holy Spirit in this series over the next several weeks, I hope you buckle your seatbelts and are ready for what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. It's my hope that you will come to understand the person and the power of the Holy Spirit so that your life will never be the same again. I love how Jesus uses this, this warmth. Oh man, this warmth when he talks about the Holy Spirit. This is because he knew the Holy Spirit personally. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. All too often we fail to realize that Jesus experienced the Holy Spirit in his life personally. A lot of the times I think we, we get a little bit confused on this whole God-man thing. And we see Jesus as the Son of God and yet we neglect the fact that it says that he was fully man. And he experienced 
the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you, you know, you might be familiar with this part of Jesus' life, but you may have missed some parts. So take a look at this passage in Luke 4. Then Jesus, notice this, full of the Holy Spirit. Wait, let's just think about that for just a minute. If he was God, why did he need to be full of the Holy Spirit? Ooh, we're going to talk about that next couple of weeks. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was, what? Led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. We know that. You know, we know that passage. If you're a Bible person, a church person, you know, okay, Jesus, yeah, he was, you know, led out to be tempted, all that. Now, take a look at what happens when he comes back in verse 14. Then Jesus returned to Galilee. What does this next part say? Come on, read it with me. Filled with the Holy Spirit's power. I mean, come on, let's just think about this. It already said that he was full of the Holy Spirit. It said that he was led by the Spirit, and now we're seeing that he's filled with the Holy Spirit's power. The account says reports about him spread quick, quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues. He was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, stood up to read the scripture. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where this was written. Notice that, found the place where where this was written, I'm going to say it again, found the place where this was written. Do you think he was trying to send a message here? Yes, absolutely. Look what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. If you don't know, the Spirit of the Lord is the same thing as the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is upon me. Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit is upon me for he has anointed me. The Holy Spirit is upon me and the Holy Spirit has anointed me. Wow. To bring good news. Now think about this. When wanting to get to know someone you don't know, let's just say there's somebody that you see and you think, you know, I'd really like to get to know that person. I don't know them, but I'd like to get to know that person. Isn't it best to be introduced to someone you don't know by someone you do know who already knows the person you don't know? Did you follow me there? Isn't it best to have someone who already knows them introduce you? You say, yeah, I mean, you probably have done this. Maybe you've done this in high school or junior. I remember doing this in junior high. I really liked this girl, but I didn't know her and she was in another class. But I had a friend who knew her and I'm like, hey, dude, introduce me. You know, like at, at lunch, let's, you know, talk to her, talk to me, tell her how great I am. You know what I'm saying? Right? Introduce me. You, you want somebody to introduce you to someone you don't know because they already know them. Right? <laughs> Jesus knew the Holy Spirit better than anyone to this point. Don't miss this. Remember our story? Jesus is in the room having dinner with his guys, and he says, what did he tell them? He goes, I'm going away, but it's better that I go away because I'm going to send the advocate, the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And they're like, what? We know you for three and a half years. We don't know the Holy Spirit, dude. We, who is this Holy Spirit? And Jesus is like, don't worry, I know him. I know him. I'm, I'm really personal with him. I know him. He knows the Holy Spirit better than anyone. Why? Because he was filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit. Wow. He was very familiar with the Holy Spirit. He had experienced the Holy Spirit personally. Hmm. 
Interesting. This, is, this isn't even in the notes. Let me give you a freebie here. Interesting in Luke 4, Jesus reads this passage out of Isaiah, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's on the screen. Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news. Isn't it interesting that in Acts 1, and this isn't here, Anthony, so don't even try to find it. In Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus says, and this is a passage we covered, covered a couple of weeks ago. In Acts 1, verse 8, isn't it interesting that Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem because you're going to be baptized. In a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Guess what? You will receive power when he comes upon you to be my, what? Witnesses. Huh. Wait, wait, wait. Isn't that exactly what Jesus is saying about himself? He's saying that the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to be, guess what? A person who tells the good news. And then he tells his disciples in Acts 1, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you so that you can be a person who tells the good news. See, what I'm getting at is Jesus knew all this. He's just telling us to do stuff that he's already experienced. He'd already been down this road. He had the t-shirt. He's experienced it. Hmm. And then Jesus tells them something more about the advocate that we need to hear. John 14, 16, 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. I want you to circle that word, another. Interesting word. Now, just like in English, just like in the way we use it, there are two ways to use this word, okay? I mean, you could mean that it is a different person. You could. But Jesus wasn't indicating this. He wasn't saying it is another one. He's saying that this advocate was simply an additional one. Don't miss this. He's saying this advocate is separate but similar to the first. He is another one. Everybody follow me on that? It's real important that we catch this. So my question is, who was the first advocate... And we see that really clearly in Scripture in 1 John 2, that Jesus was. John says, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ. So the first advocate was Jesus. But Jesus is using this word advocate again. It's, it's the same exact Greek word, parakletos. And, and Jesus is saying, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Guess what? It's another, just like the first one. Wow, Jesus is clearly indicating that it will not be himself, but someone else, someone just like him. Well, let's back up to my illustration. If you had someone that you wanted to meet that you didn't know, but you knew someone who knew them, and what if that person says to you, oh, I know them, they're just like him. Wouldn't you go, well, I want to meet them. If they're just like you, I love you, man. If they're just like you, introduce me. I want to meet them right now. If they're just like you, I want to be their best friend. Come on, let's go, right? Wouldn't we approach it that way? But we don't see the Holy Spirit that way. See, we avoid, neglect, ignore the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit. 
Well, come on, you can laugh at that. It's okay. But that's the way we approach it. In fact, old school, come on, you that have been around church for a while, we didn't call him the Holy Spirit. What did we call him in the old school days? Holy Ghost. Oh, ghost? I'm not going to be a friend with a ghost, right? How could, how could Jesus leaving be better than I would get the Holy Ghost instead of Jesus? Anybody up for that? I'm not up for that. That's weird. Come on, let's just be honest. We've given, given these titles without understanding who he is. Another advocate, another of the same kind. I mean, I'm sure this is, the disciples were seeing these things this way. I mean, they were with Jesus every day. They saw him do miracles. They heard him teach. They experienced his love, his joy, his hope, his, his supernatural. All of these things they, they were experiencing. And by the end of the three and a half years they spent with Jesus, I'm sure they were firmly seated in their comfort zones. But now Jesus says, I'm leaving. I'm going to send another. He's just like me, but he's better. It's to your advantage. Wow. Look what he says, verse 17. You know him because he lives with you now. Later, he will be in you. Better. I can't help but see God's plan, his big plan in all of this. I mean, this week on Wednesday, I was writing down some stuff, and I'm not kidding you, I, I grabbed my desk, and I pushed my chair back, and I went, wow, God, I see, this, I see this big picture, and I hope that I can communicate this to you the way that I was seeing this. But there's this big picture. God was making his presence more and more and more personal and up close. Friends, do not miss this. A personal relationship with us has always been God's plan. All along, I don't have time to go into it, but way back in the Garden of Eden, it was his plan to be up close and personal with human beings. And it got messed up there. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have an opportunity right here on earth, not just in heaven, but here on earth as well, to experience the presence and the power up close and personal. It's like the father who swoops up his son in his arms, saying to his son, you are my son and I love you. In that moment, now think about it, in that moment, that boy is no more his son than he was before. But caught up in the father's arms, he feels it more intimately. That's the Holy Spirit. Mm. Let me check this out. Paul tells us this. The spirit we received makes us children of God. With that spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. You know what that means? Daddy, God. And the spirit himself joins with our spirits to say we are God's kids. 
I mean, when you, when you push back like I did and you look at this big picture of what God is doing, <laughs> you see it. You see how the Bible portrays God's redemptive history. And there are three major divisions that reveal something progressively. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Come on, say it with me. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Think about this. In the beginning of time, God created And then God demonstrated his power and his prominence in his people throughout the Old Testament. When Jesus came, the question was whether a God-following people would recognize the prominence of the Son of God. And they did. And after Jesus then gathered his people who had received him, Guess what? He was put on a death on a cross. He raised back to life. He ascended to heaven. Then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit with this new prominence upon his followers to build the church, to impact the world as they told the story. Don't miss this. The big picture, just as the people of Israel had the opportunity to know God the Father, and just as the people of Palestine had the opportunity to know Jesus the Son, We have an opportunity to know God, the Holy Spirit. Friends, Jesus told his closest followers, stay here until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power. Hmm. So if Jesus says, this is mission critical, if Jesus says, This is the most important thing you could do as a follower. I think we should do everything we can to understand and embrace the Holy Spirit in our lives. I hope you come back next week. We're going to experience the Holy Spirit in ways we never have. Over the next several weeks and next week, we're going to dig deep in.